This is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Hello and welcome to this episode of the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. I'm PJ George, your host for today. There are two sets of headlines that have been dominating the news in recent days, both of which have the central government sparring with global tech giants. One is on the Information Technology Intermediary Guidelines and Digital Media Ethics Code Rules 2021, which came into effect on May 26. The rules apply to various categories of online content providers such as social media platforms, OTT streaming services and online news providers. Some of its key points relate to the setting up of grievance redressal systems and having local personnel to ensure compliance with rules. One requirement for large social media providers is that under certain conditions, they will have to trace the originators of a message. This is a problem for messaging apps like WhatsApp, whose key feature is end-to-end encryption. The fear is that if an option is given to break this end-to-end encryption, it will lead to mass surveillance. WhatsApp has now approached the Delhi High Court against the rules. The other set of headlines are on the back and forth between the center and Twitter on the toolkit issue. Twitter had marked a tweet from BJP leader Sambit Patra on an alleged toolkit by the Congress party as manipulated media. This has led to the government accusing the microblogging site of defaming India and to the Delhi police visiting the company offices. The San Francisco-based company has called the police visit an intimidation tactic. Now, where do these two sets of headlines intersect? What are the nitty-gritties of the new rules? What are the prevailing rules on privacy in India? To discuss these, we have with us Abhar Gupta, lawyer and executive director of the Internet Freedom Foundation. Let us pose these questions to him. There are a series of developments regarding the online platforms and the Indian government in recent days that are becoming increasingly enmeshed. Now, uh, let's approach the key issue first, the new IT rules. Facebook-owned WhatsApp has approached the Delhi High Court against the rules saying that they are a breach of the fundamental right to privacy. Apart, can you explain to us WhatsApp's issue with the laws? It's important for us to first take a step back and just look at what the IT rules actually are. The IT rules are an executive notification made by the central government to define a set of compliances for what are termed as intermediaries. Stick with me for a second. What are intermediaries is the first question. An intermediary is essentially any social media platform or even a telecom service provider that facilitates information exchange without that provider becoming a publisher or an editor like a newspaper. So a social media intermediary or even a messaging platform like WhatsApp essentially are pipes which are providing end users like us the ability to technically communicate. And for this, 
the understanding under law, which is the principal legislation, is the Information Technology Act, which under Section 79 says they will not be liable for, let's say, a message which I send on WhatsApp or a tweet I post or a Facebook status message that I post online. In exchange for this immunity, they need to follow certain compliances and these compliances have been defined since 2011 in a set of rules which are called the Intermediaries Rules 2011 and they have been further updated and expanded on February 25th with an updated version which are called the Intermediaries Rules 2021. The Intermediaries Rules 2021 are in the eye of the storm and not only impact intermediaries today but also digital news platforms as well as online video streaming services. The other two sectors are outside the scope of today's discussion but what the intermediaries rules do is fundamentally change the experience of the Indian internet for every user today. Kyuki, a lot of times the primary activity of any ordinary Indian internet user intersects either with a social media platform, an instant messaging service, or online video streaming provider, or a digital news media portal. All right. Thanks, Abba, for that explanation. So WhatsApp has taken government to the rules to court over this. Yes. Now, the government has responded saying the IT rules are within the ambit of reasonable restrictions on the right to privacy. Now, we know that the courts have gone into some of these issues earlier in some cases. Can you explain to us the prevailing laws and verdicts on this issue around online privacy and as to who gets to decide on online content? Okay, so there is a procedural argument to it which flows. So as I explained earlier, these rules are a form of delegated legislation notified by the central government under a Act of Parliament, which is the Information Technology Act. As a quick civics lesson, it's important to remember that any executive notification needs to be clothed with a sense of authority which has been authorized by Parliament. So the first big question which arises even beyond privacy is, does the central government have the actual power in making these rules? Has it gone outside its scope of authority? And this is being questioned in not only this petition which has been filed by WhatsApp, but by several other petitions which concern parts two and three of the rules. The second is your much more direct question on privacy itself. The right to privacy was reaffirmed by the Supreme Court in its verdict Justice K.S. Putuswami versus Union of India in the year 2017 in August, whereby it laid down in its various opinions by the judges, but the most predominant one being of Justice Chandrachur, to which four judges signed on a list of safeguards which need to be followed when privacy as a fundamental right is impacted by any state program. And this essentially requires, firstly, legality. Has the, has the impact on privacy, which relates from any state action, 
an adequate basis in law, where my first point comes in, that whether these rules are authorized by Parliament. And this is the first big question. The second and the third ingredients relate to what is the objective of the impact of the right to privacy. And is it democratic? Is it constitutionally sanctioned? So here the justification for the rules which have been made contains specific requirements which aim towards curbing disinformation, also ensuring that whenever any content is taken down on social media platforms, there is an adequate basis of notice and transparency by social media companies, as well as ensuring that there are certain other uh, uh, instances of platform regulation in which there need to be appointment of officers, etc., etc. Now, these requirements on their faces seem to satisfy the second and the third prompts of the right to privacy. They seem to be much more in line with what is a democratic framework. Of course, social media is broken. Tech giants, to a large degree, serve corporate profit rather than public interest. However, what makes them problematic are the specific measures and prescriptions which are sought to be put into place which brings me to the fourth and the final agreement ingredient in the in the privacy doctrine which is called proportionality that whether the actual requirements which are being placed to achieve these state objectives are in fact proportional to what is actually required and can less invasive measures to your privacy be also considered. For instance, you wouldn't have a entire city shut down every night because crimes against women rise at night. You would not have a perpetual curfew in that sense. Also a good instance is uh, just in the domain of privacy, if street lighting or adequate police deployment helps crimes against women, that is a much more well-needed measure rather than invasive CCTV deployment alongside facial recognition. So, on proportionality and legality, one needs to focus when we look at the WhatsApp petition before the High Court of Delhi, which also now brings us to another point called traceability, which is the predominant issue of debate today. Yes, uh, regarding the traceability, can we go into it a bit more? So WhatsApp main premise on privacy is its end-to-end -end encryption and it argues that any sort of break to it could affect privacy of uh, the user. Is there a, a case for it, uh, for end-to-end -end encryption to be broken? Do you have a take on how end-to-end -end encryption comes into play here? Thank you so much for asking me that. So traceability is a requirement being required under Rule 404 of the Intermediaries Rules 2021. And it requires the originator of any message on an intermediary, which is classified as a significant social media, um, media uh, in, uh, social media intermediary, to put into place a technical system 
where each message can be tagged with the identity of the person who authors it and then transmits it. So essentially, this on its face seems to be something which is desirable, but one needs to consider firstly, what is the objective which has been sought to be achieved because this is a collection of a great amount of data. And secondly, uh, does this requirement uh, impact our privacy in a way which is disproportionate to what is sought to be achieved? Here, IFF as a body has availed the technical expertise of firstly, Professor Manoj Prabhakaran, who has explained in an expert opinion over five pages that the intended objective, which is to curb uh, disinformation or even investigation of lawful crimes is not sufficiently satisfied because to fix the identity will require and to prevent impersonation one will require a certain form of digital certificates to be put into place and even then slight changes in the message will make a new person a fresh author and this will not actually help and benefit lawful investigations either of disinformation which may lead to rumors circulating and lead to mob lynching potentially or even investigation of individual crimes. Further, there is a large amount of metadata as it's called which goes over and above the messages which are exchanged on WhatsApp which are end-to-end -end encrypted which are already available with WhatsApp and can be provided and are provided to law enforcement. This metadata includes when you sign up to WhatsApp, your username, your uh, phone number, how often do you use WhatsApp, which locations you use WhatsApp in, to whom are you talking, not what you're talking to them about, again that is included, but to whom you're talking, which groups you're part of, who are all the members of those groups, what is your display picture, and also the links which you click within WhatsApp, which you take you to another browser. Further, whenever you back up your chat history by itself, this chat history is stored in an unencrypted form, either on your Google services, or if you're an iPhone user, on your iCloud account. So law enforcement, by and large, has all these pools of data, not to forget that they can actually seize the device when they're investigating any kind of crime. Hence, to take away the one remaining privacy protection that each message during the course of transmission is end-to-end -end encrypted and even require that to be undermined by placing the identity of a person with each message in their qualified view may technically result in certain solutions which undermines the security of the signal protocol which ensures end-to-end -end encryption. So encryption is not only about privacy, it's also about safety. There's another technical opinion by the Internet Society on the basis of workshops organized with 50 experts and they pretty much say the same thing. And this is why privacy as conversations remaining private, privacy as an element of cyber security uh, are both impacted due to this proposal and impacted in a very severe and negative way. One should also remember this goes beyond WhatsApp to any significant social media intermediary which has more than 5 million active users which can include Signal, 
Telegram, or any other host of services which are used, including the Apple iMessage. And India has close to 743 million active subscribers. So these compliances will impact a lot of other platforms beyond WhatsApp itself. Now I'd like to come to some of the penal provisions of the IT rules, particularly the idea that safe harbor provisions could be removed. Can you explain to us this in a bit more detail? What are safe harbor provisions and what are the penal provisions that these companies could be facing if they fail to comply? Thank you so much for asking me that because everyone always wonders what is the consequence for non-obedience and it's been somewhat of a very uh, uh, very uh, visible element of this public debate in which people have often uh, been wondering over the past week whether these services will be banned in India. Now, here I think that first it's important to remember that under our system of laws, such forms of delegated legislation such as the IT rules cannot create criminal penalties by themselves. For the creation of a criminal penalty, there needs to be an act of parliament rather than a piece of subordinate legislation. What non-compliance with these rules, which are potentially illegal and unconstitutional as per us at the Internet Freedom Foundation, may result in is a removal of the safe harbor. Going back to an earlier part of what I've said, and refreshing it and putting it in a much more compact perspective is that intermediaries are not liable for the content that they facilitate the millions of pieces which are being transmitted every second on their platforms across these pipes is compliance with these rules. If they do not comply, they become liable. So liable towards what? Liable towards prosecution in individual cases. For instance, if somebody files a civil defamation case against a defamatory tweet against another user, potentially due to non-compliance of these rules, they can also file a monetary claim of damages against Twitter for facilitating and acting as a platform which has permitted that tweet to be posted. When Twitter goes to court and cites a defense saying that we are an, only an intermediary, the court will essentially look at these rules and say, but you're non-compliant with them. Hence, this claim for damages can also proceed against you. Now, imagine the amount of information being transmitted on Twitter as well as WhatsApp on a daily basis. And the number of cases, not only civil, but also criminal, which are filed on a daily basis because these platforms are essentially during this pandemic, but even beyond it, when we do recover and we can rise as a country, beyond it are going to be a fundamental part of how conversations, both private and public, are conducted. There will be everyday thousands of cases. And if these cases proceed in which both civil claims for monetary damages are made against these platforms as well as criminal prosecutions are launched, there will be an environment in which they cannot function and they will need to exit India. Here there is a very interesting tale 
for us to look back towards when IBM exited India, not because it was banned by the government, but because it was required under a certain rule to have a substantial Indian holding, I think up to 49% or 51% with an Indian national. So the compliances and the larger legal environment which is being created is essentially not conducive not only to these platforms but also to individual users because these platforms also will then put into place very stringent provisions and very stringent enforcement in which not only things which are clearly illegal but even ones which can give rise to potential claims in courts or police investigations is corrupt of their platforms. For instance, imagine if WhatsApp implements a keyword filter in which you cannot use certain words, independent of their context also, where people who may be criticizing certain government policies or maybe driving accountability in private conversations cannot do it any longer. This will all lead to an internet which is more censored, less free and less open for every average Indian. Now I would like to come to another issue that has been taking up the headlines, the spat between Twitter and center government in also involving the Delhi police over the toolkit issue and Twitter's branding of certain tweets by Sambit Patra as manipulated content. Now it has come amidst this spat over the IT rules as well. Uh, do you see an intersection uh, there? Well, the intersection is timing. And uh, this is what is making a lot of commentators who look at this, uh, look at it a bit more closely. Even though the IT rules were notified on in February, there was a three-month period which was provided till May 25th for certain compliances which impact significant social media intermediaries which have more than 5 billion users to come into effect. And Twitter has about 60 million or more than 60 or 80 million users. So they came into effect on May 25th. But right before then, Twitter labeled uh, certain tweets, I think, from two accounts as manipulated media, which were purportedly relating to some online document from the uh, Indian National Congress. These tweets were actually screenshots which were placed by uh, spokespersons as well as politicians from the Bharatiya Janata Party and subsequent to them these posts being made uh, and complaints by the Congress Party were labeled as being manipulated media. Twitter's own terms of service is an independent body of application of its own rules which it applies and it has not been very uh, uh, transparent how it does apply them but it applies them globally. So it labels certain tweets as manipulated media, the reports are sent to it that these tweets impact public interest are not factually correct and it applied these labels. Subsequent to which on 21st of May the Ministry of Electronics and IT sent a letter to Twitter for sharing information and also citing concern that this would amount to a prejudgment on the nature of those tweets and the content within it. It would also be an interference with the lawful investigation 
because the Congress party itself had made a criminal complaint to the Delhi police that this was a fabrication. The Delhi police uh, subsequently also sent a notice on 21st of May to the managing director of Twitter India. Thereafter, on 24th of May, uh, visited its offices uh, uh, and as per news reports, uh, this was in the presence of several media personnel and there were shots also telecast on broadcast television and ultimately the statement by the Delhi police was that they were there to serve these notices where they discovered that the offices were locked because a work for home policy was in place for Twitter India employees. On 25th of April, the substantive compliances came into place. Also, what is important for us to remember is around December and January, uh, when the farmer protests were just happening and were at their peak, the Indian government has sent a series of directions for to Twitter to block accounts. And there was a raging controversy that whether these requests were legal under the ID Act because complete accounts were sought to be suspended, including of journalistic publications such as the caravan rather than individual tweets and Twitter refused to do it. Uh, so this has been an ongoing controversy where certain people have been saying that this is about a country's elected government seeking to enforce the rule of law, whereas other people have been saying this is about freedom of speech and expression, and it's also about the ultimate rights of the users. Here it is quite evident that this friction is related to the recent IT rules, which queers the pitch and brings things to a boil. At the same point in time, it is important to understand that quite often the government of India is not proceeding as per the legal operation, uh, legal powers permissible to it under the IT Act. It's taking an overbroad reading, which is restricted of, restrictive of user rights because ultimately it does impact every ordinary Indian user of Twitter as well as all of these platforms. Thanks, Apar. And to wind up our conversation, I would like to come to a larger issue of privacy laws in India as a whole. Now, whether it is the government of India or whether it is the private companies all have had their share of bad name regarding privacy. And we have had panels looking into privacy laws in India as well. Can you comment on the current status of privacy laws in India and where do you see it going? So privacy laws in India are essentially going through a very tough time because we don't have them. So beyond the Supreme Court judgment, the Supreme Court itself said that every breach of privacy cannot lead to a litigation. It's just an inefficient form of norm setting because most of the times legal systems rely on compliance rather than penalty where there needs to be clear legal standards that inform the behavior of entities which would gather data. This requires a data protection law to be made and uh, the movement on the data protection law has been one which has been very, very slow till now. And uh, while the uh, Minister for Electronics and IT, Mr. Ravi Shankar Prasad, did introduce a draft data protection law which was changed on the basis of certain expert uh, 
ऑफ एक्सपर्ट कमिटी विच अगेन हैज बीन क्रिटिसाइज वेरी हेवीली बाय सिविल सोसाइटी दिस प्रपोजल विच वॉज टेबल्ड इन पार्लियामेंट ऑल्सो हैज एन इनक्रेडिबल अमाउंट ऑफ लॉस इन टर्म्स ऑफ वॉच स्टोक्स दे आर सो मेनी एक्सेप्शन एज वेल एज द रेगुलेटरी बॉडी अंडर इट which is the data protection authority lacking in independence that it would not be very effective in enforcing the data protection law by itself this law after introduction was immediately referred to a joint parliamentary committee this is being led by the honorable uh, minakshi lekhi ji and uh, this jpc uh, this joint parliamentary committee right now is deliberating on it in india at present beyond certain sectoral regulators which have issued guidances which are again then uh, not enforced up to a very high degree of penalty or success against platforms uh, there is no data protection law which is why we see there are horrible instances where whatsapp by itself has uh, made a change in its privacy policy Uh, without providing any option to users in india of uh, agreeing or disagreeing to it and this privacy policy update in 2021 permits it to share a greater amount of information with facebook as well as other third parties and businesses and a lot of users who did sign on to whatsapp are left asking that whatsapp's stated public claims have always been that they keep conversations private and our information is not provided to others which is also why a lot of them did sign up for it in fact on this there are public interest litigations filed iff itself is a litigant in the supreme court and has asked for these changes not to be uh, permitted uh, because they conflict with our fundamental right to privacy and also the competition commission of india has also opened an investigation against whatsapp because it has a dominant uh, uh, dominant presence in the indian market finally one thing the union of india interestingly before the delhi high court has stated that these privacy policy changes by whatsapp undermine the fundamental right to privacy for indian users and one can view this a bit cynically that when the indian government is saying that it does in fact undermine our privacy it is correct so at one end you have the indian government uh saying that these changes do impact and undermine privacy but you have on the very end, uh separate end requiring a uh, uh undermining of end to end encryption which is a very a necessary technical protection given that there is no data protection law so i would say neither whatsapp nor the indian government are great supporters of privacy and the both cases one in which whatsapp is being challenged with the privacy policy changes and the second by whatsapp to preserve end to end encryption are both to be supported because ultimately it is about the privacy of the users and uh, here lies the ultimate understanding that both the government as well as the whatsapp are interested 
either for a business interest or for a political interest to know more about the users because when you know more about a person who's using any kind of digital service or device, you can surveil them, you can control them and you can target them with more information. I think the irony is in the stance of the central government and the WhatsApp is a great point to wind up our conversation. I'm sure our listeners of the InFocus podcast has been much enlightened by your take and your explanation on these issues of privacy as well as the Twitter center spat. So thank you, Apar Gupta, for joining us for this conversation. It has been a great time having you here. Thank you so much for having us. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.